This morning's scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And pray for us also, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. Now, I've chosen this text very specifically to prepare our hearts for next Sunday morning. To get us ready to pray as we ought. And I want to start with a little story that I have read from a man whom I met out of Colorado Springs, Wesley Duell, in his book, Let God Guide You Daily. It was such a privilege to meet him and then to read in his book this story. He knows personally a man named Duncan Campbell who was a minister of the uh, Free Church of Scotland, who was mightily used of God in the revivals of the late 1950s and early 60s in the Hebrides. You know where those are? Islands just uh, west and north of Scotland. The New Hebrides are in the South Seas. The Hebrides are up there in the North Atlantic, just off of Scotland. And he was a uh, an evangelist used of God to bring great awakening among those islands. And uh, in talking to him, Wesley Duell heard the story that I want to tell you now. Monday evening after Easter 1952, Duncan Campbell was sitting on a platform like this after he had brought the message at the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor, Northern Ireland. And as he was bowed in prayer, he heard an inner voice say, Bernaray. Now, Bernaray is a little island in the Hebrides. He'd never been there, and he'd never gotten a letter from anybody there, and he knew nobody there. Bernaray. He prayed, as was his custom when he had such impressions, and said, Is this of you, Lord? And the name came again, Bernaray. He prayed again. The name came again, Bernaray. He leaned over to the man who was leading the evening and sitting beside him and said, I'm going to have to. Excuse myself, I believe God is calling me to go to Bernaray. This is from Northern Ireland. And he said, but you have to speak tomorrow to this group. And he said, well, I believe this is the Holy Spirit. What should I do? And they agreed. Okay, go ahead. He goes home. He packs two suitcases and calls the, the uh, airport. Now, they don't have any airport in Bernaray, evidently. It's a very tiny little island. And he says, well, just make me a reservation to the nearest airport to Bernaray. And so he gets on this plane and goes to Bernaray. And when he gets off the plane, he takes his two suitcases and goes down to the wharf and looks for a boat. And he says, is anybody here who can take me to Bernaray? I'm not even sure how far it is. And one fisherman says, yes, I could take you. Uh, there's no commercial way over today, and it'll cost you this much. And that was almost exactly what he had in his pocket. So he rides across the sea uh, a ways, I'm not sure how far, and uh, he lets him off on the coast and goes back. And here he is, standing on the coast of Bernaray. And he climbs the bluff to a place where there's a, a farm land and a farmer walking across the field. And he hails him down and he says, Would you tell the nearest pastor that Duncan Campbell is here? And uh, he says, Well, there is, I think there is no pastor in the church here now. He said, Well, are there any elders? And he said, Well, I, I think I know an elder. And so he went and he found the elder, and uh, he came back with this quizzical look on his face and said, uh, the elder is expecting you, 
and he, he says you can come to his house and this, he's made plans for the services to begin tonight. And uh, Duncan Campbell goes, and what, it, what happened was this. Uh, three days earlier, this elder had uh, felt tremendous burden to pray for revival in Bernaray. And he went into the barn, and he knelt down, and he had a little prayer retreat all day long in the barn. And God gave him, he believed, in the barn, this text, Hosea 14.5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He just took that to mean good things were going to come to burn array. And then his wife reported to Duncan Campbell that she heard him praying and wondered what in the world he was doing like this. Lord, I don't know where he is, but you know, and with you all things are possible. You send him to the island. And God gave him such deep assurance and conviction that he went ahead and made arrangements for the meetings with Duncan Campbell to begin on the night when he arrived. And a mighty revival broke out and spread across the little island of Bernaray. Now, Wesley Duell draws this lesson. He's telling this story. When God has a people who prevail in prayer, like the elder of Bernaray, and people who know how to recognize the voice of the Spirit and obey without question, like Duncan Campbell, There is no limit to what God can do. Now, my question this morning to to you is this. Might God not call some of you this week to pray like the elder of Bernaray for next Sunday's service? Might God not put it in the heart of some of you to take a day's retreat half a day, an hour a day, anything special to focus directly on next Sunday morning's service of outreach. Now, before you answer that, I just ask that you ask the Lord to open your heart as I unfold the text. And maybe God will use Colossians 4, 2, 3, and 4 to speak to you very clearly about that. So let's go to our text. And it might be good just to pause and ask God to to speak at this moment. Father, as we look at these inspired words of the Apostle Paul, which I believe are tailor-made for our situation this morning and this week, that you would speak very personally in in an application of your word to hearts that call some people to pray like the elder of Bernaray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I see in these three verses are two goals for your praying and three methods for your praying. Two things that you should pray for and three things that you should pray like. So let's take these one at a time. First, the goals. One goal is that there would be an open door for the word. And the second goal is that there would be a clear and powerful word to go through the door. Now, let me read this and we'll look at these in detail. Verse 3 says, pray for us also. So Paul is asking the church to pray, just like I'm asking you to pray. Pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word. Three times in the New Testament, 
this idea of an open door for the word is used. Acts 14.27, the Lord opened a door for the Gentiles to believe. 1 Corinthians 16.9, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide and effective door has been opened to me. 2 Corinthians 2.12, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel, a door was opened to me in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I think it means that God, in response to prayer, will work in circumstances and he will work to change attitudes and he will work to tear down resistance and he will work to create receptivity so that a door is found where once there was a wall. An open door, an unusually effective door. So the first thing that Paul begs them to pray for is pray that the locks would be off of people's hearts or let's apply it to ourselves that that when phone calls are made this week, doors would fly open. When conversations are made this week, doors would fly open. When pants this week, doors would fly open. Doors of resistance falling off their hinges. Doors of nervousness giving way to confidence. Or, I didn't say that quite right, did I? Maybe I did. If the door is shut, there's... It needs to fall off and then become an opening for confidence. So that's the first thing. The second thing that's prayed for here, the second goal besides a door, is for the preacher to be clear and open and bold and effective. Let's read the verses again now. Three and four. Pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear or open or effective, understandable as I ought to speak. So, you got two concerns here, and they fit together so well, don't they? The first prayer is that a door would be opened, and the second prayer is that when the preacher preaches, there would be something clear and effective to go through the door. If the door stays shut, the preacher can preach his heart out, and it just keeps hitting the door. Or if the door is open and the preacher's empty, or carnal, or with no anointing, there's nothing to go through the door. So the two prayers are perfect fit. That's what we should pray this week. Open doors and fill the minister with a powerful, clear statement of the gospel that has the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon it. Those are the two goals that we should have in our prayer for next Sunday. Now, how should we pray? Three ways are mentioned in verse 2. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. So the first way to pray is steadfastly. Secondly, be watchful in it. Second way to pray is watchfully. Third, with thanksgiving. So the third way to pray is with gratitude to God. Now let's just take those one at a time. And think about them for a moment. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This idea is used again and again in Acts and the Epistles, especially with prayer. What does steadfastly mean? In fact, I think it was Rimko that preached 
this summer on that part of the text, or maybe it wasn't. I was listening to tapes from this summer on that text in Acts 2.42 where it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Same exact phrase or word is here. What does that mean? It means at least two things. It means constancy, which is the opposite of hit and miss. Don't be a hit and miss prayer. Be a constant prayer. And the second thing it means is a sense of devotedness and earnestness, which is the opposite of a cavalier, casual, take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards prayer. And so those two things at least are implied here. Namely, be constant and persevering and continual in your praying. And secondly, be devoted in it and earnest in it, not lukewarm and casual. That's the kind of praying we need toward next Sunday. The second thing in this verse 2 is watchful. Now, what does that mean? It's the same word Jesus used in Gethsemane when he said, stay awake, lest you come into temptation. It's the word of moral vigilance and wakefulness. It's the, the thing that ought to come into our mind when we say watchful, wakeful, vigilant is a sentry, sentry out on the perimeter of the camp And enemies are all over the place, ready to penetrate the camp and jeopardize the mission of the forces. And the sentry's job is to stay awake at all costs. And Paul is saying, please, my ministry hangs on your prayer. Don't go to sleep on me. Stay awake. Be constant. If you got to use coffee, all right. Don't go to sleep on me. Better yet would be to go to bed early. Turn off the television. And then when you get up at six, you won't go to sleep. Third, Thanksgiving. Now, what do you think he has in mind there? Pray steadfastly. Pray vigilantly. And now pray thankfully. I think of two things, sort of thinking of this word going in two directions, backward and forward. I think he means something like this. If you're praying for the Lord to open the door for the word, you can't help, can you? But remember the fact that he did that for you one day. I mean, if you get serious about praying for somebody and say, Oh, Lord, knock the door of their hearts off its hinges. Open the door. Surely you have to remember he did that for me one day when I was six years old in Florida, my mother's knee. Did it for you one day. And don't you feel gratitude that you're saved? In fact, I'll just bet that the fervency of your prayer for others' salvation is a measure of the intensity of your gratitude for your own. If you are not praying earnestly for other people to be saved, I'll bet you're not saying thank you every day with earnestness for your own salvation, are you? I go through times like that. You wake up and you say, how could I be so negligent of my duty to be grateful for being saved? 
But if you begin to give thanks that you're saved, that God opened your heart one day, that God drew you to himself, that God forgave your sins and gave you a hope of eternal life, don't you then just have to begin to pray that for other people? So I think the first meaning of with thankfulness is with thankfulness for your own salvation. And the second thing I think it means is in the other direction, into the future. Surely he wants us to be thankful for what he's about to do. God wants us to pray not with lack of faith saying, well, I ask you to do this, but I know you probably won't. That kind of prayer is a dishonor to our Father. The kind of prayer that honors the Father is to say, oh, Lord, next Sunday morning, bring and see what the Holy Spirit gives you. 300, 200, 100. Give us 300 unbelievers there and fling the door of faith wide open. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do because you're such a good and great God. And gratitude then looks to the future. And another name for that gratitude is simply expectant faith or hope in God. Let me sum it up now. We have seen two goals for prayer, and we have seen three ways to pray. The goals are pray that doors would open. Doors of hearts, doors of circumstances, doors of attitudes. Pray them open. And then secondly, pray for me. When I read this text, I am amazed. Paul was the greatest preacher, I believe, who ever lived after Jesus Christ. I'm sure he was better than Spurgeon and Edwards. Great preacher. And he said in this text that the effectiveness of his preaching depends on the prayers of the church. If he said that, it's a thousand times more true for me. And so if anything happens in the Word next Sunday morning, you know who it depends on in large measure? You. That's what this text says. So pray that when the door is open, God gives me a word to drive through the door. Now, I will prepare this message on Friday and Saturday of this week. All right? So if you want to go hard after God for that message, the text next Sunday morning will be one sentence. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. 2 Corinthians 9. So if you want to take a little prayer retreat and pray a message from that verse into my heart, I would be very happy. I want God's message, not anything I might think up. Now let me mention three prayer opportunities that I'm going to offer you before we close now in prayer. We've been praying at 6.30 every Friday morning for the last three weeks. And it has been good. This little prayer room here has been full. It will also be full of asbestos this week. So we're not going to do that. We're going to meet in that room right there behind that glass, all right, at 6.30 on Friday. And there's a door right out there that none of you have ever been in. And we'll unlock it just right on the building out there. And you can come up the stairs and boom, right into the door. 6.30, I'll be in there praying for half an hour. Saturday, I'm going to be in that room from 7 to 8, praying about this service and about my message. Now, I'll be right in the middle of preparing it at that moment. I don't know whether anything will be down on paper or not. If you want to come and pray with me, 
7 to 8 Saturday with a focus on next Sunday's message, you're welcome to come. The little door out there on the front. Sunday morning, the service starts at 10. We must get ready at 9.30, so I'm inviting any of you who don't have to be with your guests to come at 9. And we'll pray in the lobby over there for the service before it starts. Now, Paul Yongi Cho, the pastor of the biggest church in the world in Korea, said something very stinging about Americans, and I don't know whether it's an overstatement. I feel there's a lot of truth in it. When asked to compare what's happening in Korea with its extraordinary revival of prayer and people being converted and what's happening in America, he said, Americans stay after church to eat. We stay after church to pray. This is not a lot of seriousness in America, not a lot of vigilance, not a lot of urgency. There's just a lot of casual churchiness in America. Know how I long for there to be more people like Robert Murray McShane. He's a pastor in Dundee. The Scots are getting a good bill this morning. Dundee, Scotland. And uh, he was a very bright pastor 100 years ago. And uh, he spoke Hebrew so well that he could converse with Jews on the continent. And to keep his journals secret from anybody, he wrote them in Latin. He's a very bright fellow and a good, a good preacher. He had many invitations to leave the church at Dundee and take bigger, more notable pulpits. He never did. And he said, there is no other church that can give me more time to pray than Dundee. Isn't that great? Let's bow for prayer. And what I'd like you to do in just a moment of silence is, is ask God to apply my, my plea and Paul's plea to your situation this week. Very specific. I'm not asking for any year-long commitment. I'm asking if God might be touching you right now to make some kind of extraordinary plan to pray toward next Sunday's service this week. So let me just be quiet a moment while you seek God's leading. Father, would you please raise up men and women to pray like the elder of Bernaray. And maybe you would speak to me like you spoke to Duncan Campbell with a word ready to go through the doors that you are opening in answer to prayers. And we would see dozens of people Check on their card at the end of next week's service. I'd like to talk to somebody more about Jesus. Or I have already prayed to receive him as Lord and Savior. Father, 
make our people full of prayer this week and make people's hearts open to their invitations, I pray. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.